We've had one, yes. What about second breakfast? This drink, I like it. Another! The Very Serious Writing Show. Starring Paul McCusker and Daniel Thompson, in which we jump into an interview without proper lead-in or context. So, in, in development on Beyond the Mask, did you find it similar to the audio drama development? Did you find that your kind of your style flowed seamlessly into it, or did you have to learn some of the tricks of the trade? Well, it's structurally it's different. I mean, obviously, it's different than doing a um, uh, you know a half hour audio drama. Oh yeah, definitely. Or or audio dramas because a lot of our audio dramas for radio theater were were based on existing material uh, classics, Les Mis or Chronicles of Narnia or things like that. We did two or three originals, but structurally they were very different because you're following and trying to stay true to your source material in a way that a three-act structure for film um, well, yeah. can be prohibited. So we had some latitude there, but coming into um, the film and working with uh, the Burns Boys on the film, uh, there were uh, there were definitely learning curves for me in terms of getting used to the structure. Uh, getting to know them and getting to know what their expectations were. Uh, so there's, there was a whole different dynamic as we developed the story um, between me and my uh, the way I think and the way I piece things together and then where they were. And, 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 and remember, they had been thinking about and living with this story idea uh, long before I entered into the picture. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to discern the stuff that they really like and they really wanted to make sure got into the film. Um, some of them were just set pieces or action sequences and stuff. Um, and then other things were just how to, how to put together a story. Yeah. And, um, and then for me, and this has always been a problem and you can ask just about anybody I work with. <laughs> and that is the, uh, respecting the time limitations. And I, I will readily admit that, um, uh, if there's, uh, if it's going to, if it's, if I've got two hours to work with, I, I generally wind up with a script that comes in more three hours, and then we've got to figure out how to cut it back. Um, and my problem with Beyond the Mask is that to me it was such an epic story. It had so much going for it as a story that could have been a TV miniseries as yeah. opposed to, you know, a, a ninety-plus minute film. And. Um, uh, I, I struggled with that too as we worked through it. Uh, I just really became engaged in the story and the characters, and sort of hated to lose a lot of the subtleties and the different things that I liked. Oh yeah, absolutely. Now the casting obviously probably happened later on this, so you didn't get that. Did you have the chance to work with the actors like you did in the audio dramas, or was it all post? Uh, no, I well, I didn't. Um, I didn't go on to the set at any point. I mean, pretty much after I'd finished the script, I moved on to a variety of other projects and had a couple of invitations uh, to go up, but uh, wasn't able to do it. Uh, I never met um, the cast except John Reese Davis. I was going to ask. What was well, John, like- and I, John and I had worked together before on other projects. In fact, uh, part of what brought him into the project was... Uh, was my connection to him. Oh, really? And um, uh, because they wanted to cast, and we talked about um, uh, different actors who, who might fit that. 
And I put uh, Chad and Aaron Burns in touch with uh, a gentleman in England who does all of the casting for us for um, uh, for radio theater, and that's Philip Glassborough. And uh, and Philip knows John as well, and so of course, in fact, I would have met John uh, to some degree through him. And then through some other. What's funny is through some other mutual friends on a completely different project. In fact, I think my first meeting with John was for dinner through friends that have nothing to do with audio drama at all. <laughs> but um, uh, anyway, that was the connection. And John John came into the whole thing. And I, I didn't get to the set to even see him, though I did see him after he had done his filming. Mm-hmm. So we were uh, in London um, for a different project, and we got to talk about the film a bit and his experience on the set. So, uh, yeah, it was great to have that kind of connection. How did you know John before? Oh, well, um, he had done work with Coldwater Media, uh, who does drive through history and a bunch of different uh, oh, video projects. Okay. And he had, he's friends with Jim Fitzgerald, who, is, who runs uh, Coldwater. And I don't remember what it was, except he was coming into town. And Jim called me and said, John Reese Davis is coming into town and we're going to have dinner. Would you and your wife like to have dinner with us? So we did. We went locally and uh, went to an Italian restaurant here and we got there at like six and I think somewhere around 10 o'clock uh, <laughs> that I, I thought to ask the staff by the way what time do you close <laughs> and they said actually we close at nine. Oh. and I said oh I'm so sorry and then they said well we were just so thrilled we're so thrilled to have John Reese Davis here that we we didn't want to interrupt, and uh, so they just let us keep ordering and eating and doing all the things we were doing, which was very sweet. But um, so it was through Jim, and then it was later that uh, some other projects came up that uh, uh, that he was perfect for, and and uh, and then I got to work with him on the C.S. Lewis drama that we did about C.S. Lewis and Mere Christianity. Uh, John was in that playing a part. Okay. Well, that's cool. I'm a huge fan of, of yeah, his work. He's, yeah, he's great. I want to talk with you a little bit about your uh, your involvement with the Screw Tape Letters because I saw where you you've annotated uh, that story by C.S. Lewis and um, yes. man, that must that must have been fun. But like that, that must have been, was there was there a lot of pressure on you in doing that to annotate something like that? Well, it was it's hard work. Um, the annotated idea came up because I. had we had done the dramatization of screw tape letters mm-hmm. um, with uh, with Andy Circus playing screw tape, and and so we did it as oh, part really? of radio theater. Yes. Oh, Andy was fantastic. But we, um, uh, while I was working through the script and 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 adapting it for the drama, our team would come back with various questions. The radio theater team would come back and ask questions about, well, what does Lewis mean by this, and what is this referring to? Because a lot of our audience won't have any idea. And on and on and on. And out of that, um, I kept thinking, oh, somebody needs to do an annotated version of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that not to not to change or interpret the material, not to update it, but basically to illuminate it. The idea yeah. was how do we how do we uh, say that this is a British phrase for something uh, that we don't know, but here's what it means. Or he, C.S. Lewis is referring to a book and, and to tell what the book was, or cross-reference into other Lewis works to say, this is a theme that Lewis would later explore in mere Christianity in this way. So um, the short version is, uh, because if we have a really good relationship with Doug Gresham, that's C.S. Lewis's stepson, mm-hmm. I had put it to him 
uh, about doing an annotated version. And I put this in the introduction of the book and, and, and Doug actually disliked the idea. Oh, really? Because, because his experience with annotated versions was that they tended to interpret the material, not illuminate it or kind of explain it. The annotators would go in and say, here is what he means by this. Well, if you know Doug, he, he really dislikes that. He doesn't like um, people trying to interpret or make it sound like they have a definitive interpretation of C.S. Lewis's work. So when I assured him that it was going to be more factual and more informative and that I had no intention of, of trying to interpret it because, I mean, there are people a lot smarter than I am um, uh, who have been doing that for years. Uh, then he, he, was, he relaxed. He felt better about it and agreed. So I was able to do it. Um, now, the thing that was most intimidating, apart from all the hard work, um, was not only working through what to annotate without it being unduly offensive by way of making making sound like I thought people were idiots. I didn't want to explain the obvious. Well, yeah. Um, but I was also intimidated by, of course, all the C.S. Lewis fans. Yeah. Um, because if you talk to people who write for uh, anything about C.S. Lewis or for that market, uh, they'll tell you that it can be uh, a daunting thing because diehard Lewis fans, if they don't like what you've done, they'll just rip you apart. Yeah, and, it's a rabid fandom. Well, it is, and I, I, it scared me. I was afraid not of what I knew, but all the things that I didn't know, the things that I would miss, for mm -hmm. example. Something obvious that I should have done a footnote on that I did not. Um, um, the reviews, though, far, so far, I mean, since the book has come out, um, seemed to be okay. I mean, uh, I wrote it for the layperson. I didn't write it for the diehard Lewis fan. Okay. Uh, diehard Lewis fans may look at it and might pick up something new they didn't know, but I, I suspect they know most of whatever I put in there. It's going to be the average person who finds screw tape letters um, difficult, hard to follow. They don't understand what he's referring to. Uh, those are the ones that I wrote it for, and uh, hopefully it, it helps them. Well, very cool. Now, is that did any of that play into the way you took Chronicles of Narnia itself and turned that into a radio drama? Did you face some of those similar challenges there? Well, I did Narnia first, and well, the, yeah. th the thing about Narnia and where I felt like I could relax in some respects was that from the beginning uh, we had said that when we're dramatizing any work, that our intention is to stay true to the source material. Not to go in and start messing around with it just because we feel like it, but to do everything we can to simply dramatize it for audio. And because I've been doing Odyssey for so many years and doing other projects, um, I felt very relaxed in, in the idea that we'll, we'll get it. That I'm not interpreting Lewis's material in the sense of trying to dig things out like I had to do with screw tape. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to take the words on the page and dramatize what Lewis did and make it seem as if, um, I, I mean, I've often said that, that the writer really should be invisible. Yeah. That there is nothing in what I'm doing that draw, should draw attention to itself. That as a writer and a director, people should be listening to this thinking that somehow we magically got a microphone there in that scene with Aslan and Lucy, or, or somehow we got microphones into Narnia. That's what we were after. And 
to come away for people to come away and think, okay, I have heard C.S. Lewis, as opposed to Paul McCusker's interpretation of C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the most gratifying thing, and that's what we work toward. So it was less daunting in that respect. Um, okay. I knew people might not like some aspects, voices, you know, um, well, that when you're trying to head. do a voice. Well, and that's the thing, especially with Aslan. Mm-hmm. I mean, as soon as you do Aslan, I thought, okay, now we, you know, this is where if we're going to get criticism, it'll be people who love or hate um, uh, David Suchet, who did Aslan. Um, I mean, we knew that's that was going to be the most difficult part of it, but uh, I think they turned out all right. Oh, I loved them. That was my first experience with Narnia, was those adaptations. Mm. I I listened to them before I read them. Now, my favorite, oh, my okay. favorite, yeah, yeah, it was it was kind of my introduction to the whole world, and my favorite one okay. still to this day is Horse and His Boy. You know, it's funny about that. I actually, um, it, for a long time, it was my least favorite. Really? And then when I dramatized it for the series, it be, it rose through the ranks as more of a favorite. I, I mean, I, I think I had just taken certain things for granted uh, in my early impressions of re- having read it. But when I dramatized it, I had a whole new affection for what Lewis did there. Oh, yeah. And, um, so I'm I'm with you on that. I think I think it's actually a very strong book. I just, I just love how it it takes Narnia, which is mostly a cohesive narrative, and it throws a story kind of in there that doesn't follow right. the kids coming coming back and forth from their world to Narnia. Right. But it's it's not even in Narnia for most of the story. If does do they ever end up in Narnia in that story? Do they ever? Yeah, they might at the end. He, yeah, they, like right they, at the they, very end. In, into the warn them of the uh, incoming attack. But, That's right. Yeah. Um, and part of that is because Lewis, um, really, Narnia was intended to be a trilogy. Really? Um, when you read it in the original order, it was Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, and then Prince Caspian, and then Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And if you actually follow the arc, the, the kind of the arc that he created, um, and I'm no pun intended about water, I just mean the story arc. Yeah. And the way, if you look at the end of Voyage of the Dawn Treader, it really foreshadows what he would later do with Last Battle. And the reason is that he thought he was finished. He wrote the three books and then thought, okay, I'm done with Narnia. And then the publisher came back and said, oh, no, 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 you've, you've got to do more. And that's why uh, you have the, the less of the, uh, I want to call it the cohesion, that you have sort of horse in his boy, which is by, it seems to be a very solitary, isolated type story, Silver Chair is as well it is i mean and at least we, you have that pull of a character of eustace but be, besides that yes and then you go into um uh well a magician's nephew of course is the genesis so it actually mm-hmm. precedes all the others and he just felt like it was a good time to go back and explain that beginning which was appropriate because then he knew that in in the next book it was going to be last battle mm-hmm. he knew he was going to wind up there and um uh, and, and so it seemed appropriate that he should tell the beginning and the end. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating process uh, when you track from book to book. But that's one of the reasons why um, Horse and His Boy seemed so isolated. Yeah. Uh, that when he came back to it, um, it, it was not quite the same sequence of ideas that he had had with the first three. Yeah, what book, what, what was the writing order? When did uh, Horse and His Boy show up in that order? 
Well, I was trying to make sure I get it right because I sometimes get them confused, but I think um, Horse and His Boy, hang on, I'm, I'm turning to look at my bookcase here because I've got uh, the books here, but um, yeah, it was either the fourth or the fifth. Um, okay. I'm almost almost certain that it was like one of the next things that he did after they persuaded him that he should uh, jump into it, so... Um, or at least continue the series. Um, but I can double check that and then we can. <laughs> All right. Well, that's not necessary. I was just curious. But yeah, I've really appreciated uh, Radio Theater because it's been my entry drug into Chronicles and Les Miserables and uh, Bonhoeffer and it just so many of the, the classics that um, I probably wouldn't well, have. And, and if it did that for you, then Radio Theater has served a big part of its purpose, which is to try to point people back to the source material. Yeah, well, it definitely did that. Hey, we got one more break before the wrap-up, so I'll continue talking to you in just a minute. For VSWS News, I'm Daniel Thompson. Australian police are looking for a group of men on motorized picnic tables. The men in question were caught in several photographs, drinking beer and driving their aforementioned tables in traffic. Australian police are allegedly concerned for the safety of the men as they appear to not be wearing any, quote, protective clothing. This past week, 450 tamales were destroyed at the Los Angeles International Airport after some of them were found to contain pork. From this, we can discern that either terrorists are now attempting to hide bombs inside Mexican cuisine or custom agents are racist towards pigs. The beef tamales were undisturbed. Experts are now allegedly questioning the humanity of cat owners who frighten their cats with cucumbers. This action is being deemed cruel and harmful due to the unwarranted stress put on the victim felines. The experts recommend that cucumbers be introduced to cats slowly and from a reasonable distance, so that the cat may more easily accept it into its framework of the world. Cucumber distributors were unavailable for comment. The company Uber will be delivering flu shots to homes and workplaces today. That's it. I really don't know why this showed up in my newsfeed, to be honest. An outhouse in Colorado has been crowned America's best public restroom. The restroom, which was graded by various criteria including cleanliness and innovation, has become a focal point of its town and been spoken of highly by the mayor, who looks on the project as a matter of pride, allegedly holding multiple city functions at the site. The project manager allegedly stated that she was happy to be recognized for achieving the merit and, quote, for creating a project that reflects the uniqueness of the community. I, for one, know where I'm going next on vacation. In a recent news report on ISIS, a Spanish reporter accidentally substituted the symbols of the ISIS flag for the insignia of the Rebel Alliance from Star Wars. More confusingly, the specific image in use came from the logo of a record company specializing in reggae, evidently stolen from the Star Wars mythos. The reporter has since claimed fault and apologized profusely to anyone he offended. His apology will certainly not suffice for the members of the Rebel Reggae Alliance. Finally, a Virginia man was arrested after assaulting another man with his sandwich. For VSWS News, I'm Daniel Thompson. All right, and we are back. Hey, we got to wrap up. But Paul, thank you so much for being on the show. I mean, for real, this has been this has been fantastic talking with you. Uh, I enjoyed this. Thank you. Okay, so where you you told me you have a website, you have a Facebook. Where where can people find you? Well, I am, uh, yeah, I do have a website, uh, paulmccusker.com. So it's P-A-U-L-M-C-C-U-S-K-E-R.com. There's also a Facebook page called Paul McCusker Writer, um, which some people go to. And uh, we probably update that 
more than we do the website. Okay. And, uh, so those are two two good sources, I think. Oh, very good. And we figured out the order of the Chronicles. Yes. Uh, the uh, sequence would be Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, then uh, Prince Caspian, uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, then Silver Chair was next, then Horse and His Boy, and then uh, Magicians After the Last Battle. So um, I always get those two middle ones confused. But uh, so uh, the, the, it's funny that Silver Chair follows naturally to in, mm-hmm. in some ways from from Void to the Dawn Treader, and then you suddenly have this very isolated adventure, which is yeah. um, uh, Horace and his boy. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to let you go. Thanks again. All right. Thanks so much, Daniel. Thank you. Have a good one. Yeah. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> it's one in the morning. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. You know what becomes funny at one in the morning? Financial accounting homework. Financial accounting homework is the best. Here, let me let me grab some out of my backpack real quick. Hang on. This will only take a second. Okay. December 31st, 2012 inventory. <laughs> first in, first out is $12,600, which ironically is the same as last in, first out. But after the purchases, it's different. <laughs> I don't <laughs> Merchandise costing $200 was purchased on account and paid for at an earlier time has been returned for credit. The credit terms were 210 and 30 and the invoice was paid within the discount period. <laughs> Which of the following is the correct journal entry for the purchaser to return? The return, assuming a perpetual inventory system is used. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for me to go to bed now, I think. Well, next Monday we shall have Marshall Younger in studio in the continuation of the Adventures in Odyssey takeover on the one, the only, very serious writing show. Catch me on Facebook, Twitter, Goodreads, and at my website, thatguywiththehat.com. Ah, yes. (laughs) And we can do fun things, like talk about which of the following is the correct statement regarding the shipping term of FOB destination. (laughs) I should not be a business major. (laughs) You all have a lovely day, and I will talk to you later. <laughs>